Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast, where the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne. Hello. Hello. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Ec for Post-Consumer World. We're doing this episode acoustic this week, no theme music. I'm wondering if people have uh, likes or dislikes with the theme music. They could let me know, email us, send in a comment. Anyways. And it's just us chickens. Just us chickens. No celebrity guests. No celebrity guests this week. We have Trout, our cat, is sitting in the sound equipment box right next to us. He's actually sleeping on the mixing board itself. <laughs> but it's, it's just us and Trout. All right. Well, today's episode is about whole grain baking. Because all last week was all about baking, all day and all night. Eric w- was insane um, because he had... a very special guest in town doing a workshop. But before we talk about that, I think we should go backwards and talk about the workshop and talk about why Eric was hosting a workshop. And it's because Eric and his friend Mark Stambler... And Teresa Seitz. And Teresa Seitz started an organization called the Los Angeles Bread Bakers. How many years ago now? I think it was three or four years ago now. And it started out as a meetup group and meetup.com. And I still remember to interrupt you. Like you set up that meetup like one evening. You're like, I am going to set up. No, actually, it's the idea for it came because Teresa and I were stalking Mark Stambler, who was a guest on this podcast in an earlier episode. And we wanted to know how he made his amazing bread. So we, we stalked him and ended up in his kitchen and the three of us were sitting at his kitchen table and we thought well we should start a little group or something and we thought oh gee 30 people will sign up for this you know everyone's gluten-free these days no one will be interested in this and within months there were a thousand members the way i remember it what i was going to say before was that i remember you doing the the work of setting up the meetup um one night and then like the next day or like in that week you you kept going oh my god the people the people they keep signing up it it grew so fast so far beyond your imagination and now we're at a point where we can't offer enough events it's really great actually this has been a really wonderful experience we've built community bread ovens and we've done a lot of classes and just things where people get together and one of the things we've done is we've uh, we have enough people now that we can support bringing in very famous uh, bakers who are famous on a national level, very skilled people to come in and, and teach classes. Two of the people we brought in are Craig Ponsford and Dave Miller. And Dave Miller we just brought back for the second time in two years. He is someone that if you've read... Uh, Michael Pollan's book, Cooked, he's in the Brad chapter. He features very prominently in that chapter. And he's probably the best whole grain sourdough baker in America. And a really nice guy, too. Really nice guy. Very modest, very sweet. Very generous. One of the participants, Peter, said something I think that summed him up for me, which is that He's one of those people with an incredible depth of knowledge, 
that is very willing to share that knowledge with anyone. But he's also humble in, I think Peter put it this way, humble in the face of mystery, you know, that, that bread baking is a complicated thing. You're dealing with a, especially with sourdough, you're dealing with a natural organisms and microorganisms, and there are mysteries, and sometimes it doesn't always work out. And he was willing to share those times in running a professional bakery when he's had strange things happen and in spite of his incredible troubleshooting skills, can't solve the problem. And it's happened a couple of times. Um, I mean, it should be said about his his school level is that he was having some trouble recently with a, a type of flour and figured out that it was that the, the, the grain had sprouted in the field. And he traced that back from the problem he was having. That's his skill level. Pretty amazing. Because, you know, troubleshooting is a really big part of bread baking, actually. Because, you know, the thing about bread baking is that unlike savory cooking where you can adjust as you go along, the thing with bread baking is that there's a delay in your results of at least, with this kind of bread baking, at least 24 hours. So it's 24 hours before you know whether it worked out right or not. Everything happens at the beginning. It's like exactly, it's it's the flour. Not exactly. Well, I mean, I mean, I know it develops, but you put it, your input is really at the beginning. How much water, flour, and starter you use and how you treat it, right? And then... Well, but there's, there's, there's shaping and there's, there's shaping. fermentation and temperature and, and things too, yeah. which are also really important, but there's still a delay in time before you realize whether it worked out or not. And that makes it a little bit more challenging in some ways than just normal cooking does. But uh, Dave really knows how to, I, just, I can't say enough good things about him. Right, we Tell wish, us yeah. about, about Dave. He's, where's he from? Yeah, let's back up. Uh, yeah. He runs a bakery in Chico, California, which is in Northern California, north of Sacramento. He's basically a one-man operation. He has a couple of acres with some goats and llamas, and he lives there with his wife. His bakery is in an adjoining building that he walks to. And, of course, being named Dave Miller, he mills his own flour. That's one of the things that that separates him from a lot of bakers. Some bakers are starting to mill their own flours, too, now. But that's one of the things that he's known for. Because he's done that for a while. Right. He's done that for a long time now. So he mills his own flour. He bakes with really interesting uh, grains. He works with farmers. He has relationships with them. And he bakes in his bakery on his property once a week, and then sells the loaves at the Chico Farmer's Market on, I think, Saturdays. And they're like, they're reason they're like $5 a loaf? Yeah, they're, it's, it's the amazing thing. Is This is the, again, I really think the finest whole grain bread in America. And yeah, they're $5 a loaf. And they're only available at the Chico's, Chico Farmer's yes, Market. Yes, exactly. It's reason to go to Chico, people. Now, I brought some of those loaves home. Right, Kelly? Uh-huh. So, and they it, were fine. it was good. a real revelation uh, this time. This time around, he, he, he made a loaf out of einkorn, uh, another loaf out of half-spelt, half-rye, another with a wheat called Sonora wheat, and then the last one was this very unusual grain called charcoal 
wheat, which is almost black, a really amazing color to it. So Dave only works with whole grain. Well, he does. This is this is another thing I really respect about him. He does one loaf out of all, I think he does something like eight different breads every week. Uh, and there's one of them that has some white flour in it. Uh, and it's popular, but he's a, a man of a great deal of integrity. He cares about the health of his customers. So he actually limits the number of those loaves <laughs> that he makes. He won't because, and also because it's not what he's about. He's about these whole grain breads that are 100% whole grain. That's another unusual thing about him. There's no sifting. A lot of whole grain bakers will either mix in white flour or they will sift the grain to take some of the bran out because the bran makes it more difficult to handle the loaves. The bran is like, like little daggers in the dough and it cuts the gluten strands and it makes it very difficult for the bread to rise. Now, the thing about Dave is that he has figured out techniques to work around that issue. Uh, one thing is a very, very wet dough. When we did this workshop, we had about, I think there were 20 people in the workshop, and they everyone was amazed that Dave is working with this dough that is, some of it seemed like pancake batter. And and you would look at it and you would think, how is he possibly going to shape that into a round hearth loaf? It's just not, how is that going to happen? And there was only one of these loaves that he did on a loaf pan. But it was, you know, the other thing he showed us was his shaping technique that I, you know, maybe I took a video. I'm going to try to maybe put that up on the website at some point to show you the, show people the shaping technique that he used. Not that hard to do, um, but... You know, kind of amazing that he's able to shape several hundred loaves himself every week, once a week, at the bakery. Just with his hands. Just yeah, with this, um, hard to describe on a podcast, but it's this very quick flick of the wrist that almost, that, and suddenly there's a, a, a loaf out of this pancake batter. Pretty amazing. <laughs> these These spreads are so good. They're so... They don't have that kind of dry, cardboardy texture that people associate with whole wheat, 100% exactly. whole wheat. They have, instead, they have really, really interesting flavors. You know, you, the, the flavors of the individual grains come through. And so it matters in, in this sort of bread baking where the grain comes from because that personalities are just like grapes matter in winemaking. It's it's like that. It's, it's amazing. And they're so... Um, you know, they have such wonderful texture, kind of, they have moisture to them, and they're springy, and they feel good on the tooth and in the mouth, and they have the beautiful crusts, uh, you know, and then they're also good for you. It's the, it's the staff of life. Like, when you're eating bread like that, you realize that that is the bread that you live on. This is the daily bread that they talk about that you, you would actually live on. You can't live on white bread. You could live on this. It's so good well that's the thing i've been accused of being a little you know with this um grain thing of being a little pretentious but the thing is if you want to eat whole grain healthy bread it needs to taste good if it doesn't taste good it's just like penance gonna, yeah i mean <laughs> we're just... all gonna want to eat the, the white baguette which 
you taste the white I baguette. Know. There's great, nothing wrong know? with a white baguette. It's kind of like, I mean, at this point, I, I think of it a little bit like candy or something. It's a special treat, you know. Well, that's, so, a, that's what's wrong with it. It's basically candy. It is basically candy. But as long as you, you understand that it's candy and not the staff of life, then I think that's okay. But, but you know, day to day, you know, to start your morning with a slice of 100% whole whole grain, heritage wheat, sourdough bread is... That is, actually tastes good. And it really starts you off right. I mean, it has... This kind of bread has a way of resting in your stomach and filling you and satisfying you in you know, the way real food does. Let's talk about that einkorn loaf oh, that I brought back, which loaf. is probably my favorite of all of them That's now. such a nice flavor. Einkorn is a primitive grain, kind of the origin of all grain, of uh, wheat, rather. It can be traced back to einkorn. Einkorn is difficult to de-hull, which is why one of the reasons it's not seen a lot, although it's it's getting more popular. There's a lot of people who claim to be gluten intolerant who say they can tolerate einkorn. So it's difficult to to process, and it's also difficult to bake with because it doesn't have the gluten properties that even just, you know, supermarket whole grain has, let alone white bread. So it's difficult to work with. Uh, and Dave made a loaf with it that when, well, we did, you know, as a class, we, we, all, we all shaped the loaves. We put them, put them together and then Dave baked them. They were in a loaf pan. They the were in a corn. loaf pan. The iron corner was in a loaf pan. Is that because, because it, it's, yeah. so, it's so soft that it can't be formed into Yeah, a... it wouldn't form a hearth loaf. It would just kind of ooze out into a slender pancake. So it was the <laughs> only one that he had done in a loaf pan. But I was talking to several other people who took the class, and when we got home, we tore into that loaf first. And it was not only einkorn flour, but he had sprouted some whole einkorn berries and incorporated that into the loaf. And it tasted like there was something else added to it. It tasted, it had this um, savory umami flavor that, you know, it felt like there was beer in it mm -hmm. or mushrooms or something. No, it was so good. I mean, you, you got it home while the class had just ended and it was still warm. Right. Oh, it was we so should have waited, but no we one should have waited. Nobody right. waited. And, um, and yeah, we cut a little slice of that. And, you know, the, it was so good because the, the, um, it had formed kind of a, a crust in the pan. So it was a little bit crunchy and caramelized on the outside and then in, then inside it, yeah, it did have a wonderful, wonderful rich bready umami kind of flavor to it it was one of those kind of life-changing experiences where you know this is just wheat flour but it tastes i mean i am so i am so first of all i'm really tired of white flour mm. i'm you know I do, was, I, do i hear a horse yeah i'm getting on the high horse <laughs> Actually, I was talking to Nan Kohler, the founder of Grist and Toll Bakery, this past week, and she was a guest on this podcast as well, and she's super tired of bakers and their white bread loaves. I well, mean, you know what I'm tired of is L.A. having a crappy bread culture. Thank absolutely. God for the LABB. If you guys hadn't started LABB, there would be nothing here. You know, this supposed to, it's this, supposed to, this, this international city full to the brim with rich people. And, you know, can you get a decent loaf of bread unless, you know, some of our friends make them? Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. when you go out and you buy a really expensive sandwich, what is it on? 
Oh yeah, don't don't get me don't going. Don't even start with you know you're paying that. like sixteen dollars for a sandwich and it's on like some cheap kind of truck stop rye. You know, I, it's just there's no respect for bread here. That happens I'm, a lot. There I'm are... going to say it. People can disagree with me if they want, but you know it is hard to find decent bread in a town like this. There are some skilled bakers here, but it's yeah. all white flour. Yeah, there's yeah. Or it's mostly white flour. Now, I should say there's Mark Stambler, mm-hmm. who sells Our his bread uh, locally. And then Joseph Abrakian, mm-hmm. who's another member of LEBB, who's just about to start a bakery called Seed Bakery in Pasadena. I want to give a plug for that. That'll be and fantastic. He studied Dave Miller's methods and works with whole grain. And so that's a really good development. But both Nan and I are very tired of the um you have your index finger raised I have as my you index say that raised. <laughs> but to, for two finger waving two reasons health reasons we need whole grain but also the flavor reasons mm-hmm. and that those breads i brought home for dave Mill from dave miller that he did in, in the workshop were life-changing mm-hmm. because each one tasted different was really really delicious now it would cost more, uh, obviously cost more to make that bread than it does to buy a supermarket whole wheat flour. However, not that much more. I mean, keep in mind, I think, I think actually the, the, the breads he sells are $6 now, which is not bad for a really, really good loaf of bread. And so obviously he's able to make a living doing that. So other people could too. So I I really wish we would see more of that. And no supermarket whole grain flour is not <clears throat> not the same. Why isn't it the same? Um, it's not milled in a, you know, it, it there there's a number of reasons. Actually, people could listen. I'm just gonna have them listen to the. Uh, I'll put up a link in the the show notes. Listen to Nan's podcast. We talk about that in, in depth. Detail. If you're if you want a bread geek out on it, yeah. But I mean, it's not. I mean, in in short form, I mean, it's a. You're using a very basic kind of wheat, right? You're not using the special kinds that you know we're talking about here. The heritage wheats with their interesting flavors. What kind of? There's just like one or two kinds of wheat that gets made out essentially. of flour. It, yeah, essentially, I mean the thing about and it's the way it's ground, right? The thing about yeah, the way it's ground, but also the thing about supermarket flour that makes it easier to use though is that it is carefully rejiggered so that it has the same gluten qualities and chemical properties so that it's it's repeatable. I mean, one of the things that makes Dave Miller's baking method difficult is that you have to change your recipe depending on the wheat you're working with, not just the amount of water you're adding, which is kind of the main thing, the hydration ratio is as we call it in bread geeky terms, the amount of water in the, the like loaf. The, the ratio between flour and water. Right. But there's also how you bake it. There's shaping methods, things like this. There's troubleshooting that you have to do that make working with different kinds of grain more challenging. So, so it's like an art. It's a little bit of an art. I'm, I've been trying to write a ebook about this. I say trying because I'm struggling with this problem is it's more baking is more about learning troubleshooting than it is about following a recipe. And it's difficult to write that. Mm-hmm. People want, I understand I want a recipe, right? This that is just works. Thing, right. That yeah. I, I was talking to Peter about this too, yeah. that we, we want a recipe, but 
Everybody wants a recipe for everything. We right. want recipes for life. Exactly. You know? But, but life is about way. troubleshooting because right. <laughs> life is complex. Right. And um, that was one of the things about the workshop, again, is that we spent a lot of time talking about that troubleshooting. I mean, to be fair to you, um, you've been working with Whole Grain for a while now. Yeah, I've got one successful loaf with one kind of grain. That's and, really dependable. Right, right. It's really good. I mean, so I'm I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled as can be here, sitting around eating my my gourmet whole grain breads, and and all that this workshop has done is like raise the bar some more. So now I know that my <laughs> I've got even better bread coming my way, which is pretty exciting. Well, but it's going to take some effort because the the grains that. Dave worked with were grains that I've tried in the past unsuccessfully, but he's able to make it work. The other variable we should talk about here is that we're talking about sourdough because that introduces another whole set of variables. Um, commercial yeast is very predictable. You know what's going to happen. You know, you throw a bunch of it in there, an hour and a half later, the bread's ready to go in the oven. It's very powerful. But Dave believes, I believe, a lot of people believe that sourdough has, certainly has better taste qualities. It may have health qualities too. It may be helping pre-digest some of the substances in wheat to, that make it healthier. And that is, you know, it kind of raises the bar again, because now you're working with this microbial life that's unpredictable at times. Dave told us a story about the time that his sourdough starter stopped working in the bakery. He couldn't figure out why he asked other people for their sourdough starter, and it also did not work. <laughs> and he never figured out what happened. It's like somebody he, uh, sprayed Roundup in his bakery or something like that. Who knows, you know. But uh, he eventually started his sourdough again, his starter again, and, and got things going again. But things like that happen. You don't know why exactly. He has a very interesting, unusual method with his starter, which is different than my starter. I work with a small amount of liquid starter that I keep on the countertop. Dave believes that a stiff sourdough starter works better. It looks it, like Play-Doh. It looks, yeah, it has a, well, yeah, that's right. It has a Play-Doh texture. Mm, it's very dry. And he has a very unusual method for starting the starter, which involves creating a very stiff dough and then burying that in a container of flour, letting that come alive and then feeding it once a day and then reburying it in the flour. That's how you start a starter using his method. I can't, I wish I remembered the name. I was helping with the workshop. So other times I had to go you know, clean a bucket or something. And I missed some of the details, but it's, I believe, a Belgian method. Then he has another unusual method of maintaining that starter because, and I'm, I'm going to try this. It's actually kind of convenient because, you know, he only bakes once a week. So he doesn't have, he doesn't want to have to feed the starter every week. So what he does is it, when he's done with using the starter, uh, each week, he adds a bunch of flour to it to essentially dehydrate it. So he kneads in a bunch of flour until it has the texture of like a crumbly, floury kind of, it just looks like flour with little chunks in it. 
Kind of like when you're mixing up like a pie dough or something and it hasn't come together yet. Exactly. It's all there's lumpy little, and bumpy and But there's flowery. some chunks in it, you yeah. know. There's a little chunks of sourdough in there and then he puts that in the refrigerator. And then once a week, he sifts out the flour and takes the little chunks and rehydrates them. And then he adds the flour that he sifted out back into that liquidy sourdough starter lump. So it becomes liquid before he bakes with it? Well, he, he again, he takes the oh, little chunks out. Oh, he adds the flour out, back in. Add, so. well, hold on. He takes the little chunks <laughs> out, adds water. So it's consistency of a pancake batter. Right. And then he feeds it with the flour, flour that it was kind of stored in. Which makes it thicker. Which makes it, but turns it back into the Play-Doh type. Oh, so it becomes ball. Play-Doh again. Right. And then that's... How is how that he, mixed with flour to make bread? Well, what he does is, so he reconstitutes the starter, basically. And then he lets that ferment for, I think it's three hours. Then he feeds it again. And then overnight... It it uh, sits and then he makes bread with it. But it, that makes sense. No. <laughs> well, where did I mean? Because like when you make bread, the starter and the water are kind of are the liquid portion of it, and then the flour is the dry portion of it. But your starter in this technique is dry and lumpy. Right. Well, how no, does he, that get mixed into the flour? No, 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 no. Okay. He he takes the little chunky sourdough bits. Yeah. He adds a lot of water to them so that then it's like a pancake batter. But then he puts flour back into that. Right. He feeds it. So what's its consistency then? Its consistency then is like a Play-Doh again. Okay. So you've got Play-Doh. Now you want to make a loaf of bread. So you're mixing like a cup of flour, a cup of water, and a cup of Play-Doh together. I mean, how does the Play-Doh get incorporated with the with the flour well, for the loaf, you feed it. Basic, you make it a, a slightly larger Play-Doh ball. Does that make sense? More flour and water, but the same consistency. You don't. You're not making a liquid starter again. It's always a solid starter. Right. I'm just saying. How, <laughs> we're going around circles. How are you? Are you adding flour and water to the Play-Doh ball, and then the whole loaf just becomes a big Play-Doh ball? Yes. Is that okay? That's right. Okay, so the so is it then? Do the loaves um, when they're first made look a little dry? Because your loaves, when you first make them, are quite no, 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 no. Wet. Then you then you use the, you take a small amount of the Play-Doh ball, which is your starter, and then you add that to more flour <laughs> and water to make a rather liquid type dough. Okay, so the flour, the Play-Doh ball breaks down. When you you add it to the final mix of flour and water, it sort of breaks down and mixes in. You mix it in. That's all I want. It mixes, it it breaks down and mixes in to the loaf that way. Right. So instead of having a liquid starter, you have a dry starter, but the dry starter breaks down in the liquid, essentially gets mixed in. Yeah, you mix it in. Yeah. Okay, that's all I just said. <laughs> that right. took a while. <laughs> right. See, but that took a while. That's why that's why there has been no book because it's hard to explain this stuff. You know. Um anyways, <laughs> that it it's you know, it's funny when you see it, it's not that complicated actually, but to try to describe the process mm-hmm. is a little difficult. Especially well, when it's it's different to processes you've seen before, you know? Yeah, well, oh, man, since uh, the history of bread, 
homebred baking in America, you know, is you have your, I always think of your hippie era in the 60s, the Tassahara cookbook, which is a lot of kneading. I mean, all these, you know, the thing is, these, these, hold on a second. These things work. These Mm -hmm. methods work, right? But uh, enough people did them to prove that. But but there, they definitely some ideas have changed about about things. People and, tend to think about kneading still when they hear about bread. Yeah. They they go, oh, that's a lot of kneading. Oh, bread's a lot of work. And that's the first thing people will usually say. But um, the truth is that you know, you guys are using a no knead method. There isn't really kneading. essentially now when we did the, we did this workshop. This is the other amazing thing about the workshop is that of all things the gas company here uh southern california gas company approached us and offered their facilities which are used for testing every imaginable high-end piece of restaurant baking equipment that you could possibly hope for so we had a sixty thousand dollar oven at our disposal and a uh a mixer so we had it because we were you know this was a class with 20 people in it and we made, I think, something like 70 loaves of bread. So they were large batches of dough. And Dave does this at his bakery, too. He has a, a fancy mixing machine that he does the mixing with. However, if you were to adapt these methods to a home kitchen, you would not be, you would definitely not be needing them. And that was the interesting thing uh, when I, I helped me and Joseph Brakey and helped him mix the doughs for the class. And... He was very careful about how much they were, how long they were in the mixer. You know, he did not want to overneed them. So it was a very wet dough. And, you know, the what happens is the gluten develops on its own within the wet dough. You don't have to knead it. You can very definitely overneed a bread in a mixer. He's also very careful about temperature. So we had a very precise temperature for the water that we were adding to the mixer so that he could end up with room temperature water. And I have to say, Joseph and I were really pretty amazed that he told us what temperature to make the water, and sure enough, the final dough was exactly the right temperature. It was exactly room temperature after being in the mixer. The mixer will heat dough up. So he knew how long to do it, and he knew what temperature the water should be. And when you say room temperature, do you mean that the loaf is the same temperature as the ambient air, no matter what the temperature of the ambient air is? That's what he was shooting for with the mixer. So I had to chill the water mm-hmm. so that it would end up being room temperature after mixing for, I don't know, it was like four mixer. or five minutes in the mixer or something like that. Yeah. And again, it was a very large batch of, of dough. Mm. And then after that, there was uh, what's called stretch and fold. And some people who are bread bakers may know this. This is uh, Josie Baker uses this method. Chad Robertson uses this method. You basically reach in to your bunch of dough. It doesn't matter what, whether it's one loaf or 20 loaves, and you stretch it out and fold it like an envelope. Or kind of like taffy. You, you pull it out, yeah. and then you fold it over on itself. And that's the only manual gluten development that you do, other than the shaping, too. But that's only like a second. You only do it like a couple times, yeah, right? It's no, not it like you're doing it over and over again, no. like kneading. You just no. stretch it and fold it and leave it, and then you let it sit. Right. So the idea is in stretch and fold, um, or in no knead, rather, is that instead of developing the glutens, are they fibers that need to be like aligned? Like how does gluten They're work? like little springs. Like, and, and you can, by kneading... It's, the pro- it's a protein, actually, in the yeah. bread kneading can create form can manually stretch out the glutens 
that's the idea. You stretch. You want to stretch them out, but you want to stretch them out so far that they essentially right. break. So they're like str- springs that are tightly coiled. They're getting pulled mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And then, but you can also by just leaving gluten in water, it it those strands Trans relax will align on their own. And they align. The idea. So you let nature do the work for you. Yes, with a little bit of encouragement in the form of the stretching Keep and folding. folding. Yeah, that's it. Kind of amazing. That kind of gives the the strands direction, I guess. Yeah. Now I'm we're leaving out a lot of other subtleties too, because that's that's the other thing about uh, Dave Miller is that of course he has a great deal, as many years of experience. So there is a lot of subtlety in terms of when you add the you know when you add certain things to the mix and how the the length of the fermentation times. He's also big on uh, using a refrigerator, actually, for um, what's called a retard to uh, lengthen your fermentation time without m- making it go too fast. And so having those gluten strands stretch out too far and overproof. So he slows it down in the refrigerator. And that's to improve flavor? It improves flavor, but it also gives him some flexibility in terms of baking time Schedules. the next day and schedule and things right. like that. Because yeah. if you overproof, what happens? You end up with a pancake, <laughs> a flat, very sour-tasting pancake. So it's overdeveloped, and it's all sloshy and yep, and, and very you, sour. You, after you bake it, it doesn't rise very much in the oven, and it's right. super sour. That's how right. you know you've gone exactly. Too far. That's one of the clues for over fermentation. Which so then that's that's difficult to peg because of course if it's if the weather's warm and things are on your account, like you know depending on how hot or cold your kitchen is and. So it's very variable. The timing varies. Yeah. And that's where the intuition that's and where the art experience is. Yep. and art comes in. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's underproofed, if you haven't let it proof enough, what, what does it look like? It's like a rock. Um, it's not flat, though, or is it? No, it'll be, it could be, it could be, um, you know, round shaped, but it'll have very tight crumb. and It'll look good from the outside, maybe. Uneven crumb, large but... holes, things like that. Those are under fermentation clues. Mm. And, uh, you know, not very interesting taste, things like that. Mm. Do you think things tend to get overproofed more easily than underproofed? Well, I think you can do both. You know, I've certainly done both. Yeah. In equal equal share <laughs> uh, tell us how you um how you bake at home yeah that's one thing you know in the class we had <laughs> i just can't stop thinking about this crazy the oven 60, we had like the sixty thousand dollar oven i keep thinking about my um my barbie carousel kitchen whenever you talk yes. about the oven. well i actually saw a picture of the oven working and it, and it was my barbie carousel kitchen you could roll what's called a speed rack which is a you know, restaurants use them. It's a rack of cookie sheets, basically. You could roll it into this giant oven and the oven picked up the rack slightly and then rotated it and had this amazingly even heating process and these beautiful lights from the inside and a computer control system. It was crazy and it had steam injection. And that's that's the thing that home bakers have to simulate because what the steam injection does is it keeps the dough surface supple while the dough rises so it doesn't immediately start toasting oh because if it dries out then the bread can't expand exactly it doesn't have um good oven spring in it and actually we had a nice it has blowouts 
Yes, right? it can have that's, blowouts that's too. That's another bread right? vocabulary. And that steam is is pretty critical. And actually, we had a we had a problem in the class, and we didn't steam one of the batches of of dough enough when it went in the oven. And then the next time we steamed it a lot more, and you could see the obvious difference between the, the size two. of the loaves. In the size of the loaves, the yeah, the up. ones that were steamed looked a lot better, and they rose better, and they had better crumb structure and things like that. So the steaming is pretty critical. Those commercial ovens have that. What I've done at home is to use something called a combo cooker, and people have done the New York Times bread recipe will know this one. You uh, or a Dutch oven, actually. The, the New York Times recipe, the famous, the famous one that everybody was doing a few years ago. They they were using a Dutch oven. That they is, weren't the first to use a Dutch oven. I no, but I mean out, that but... was like it's part and parcel of the re- the the New York Times recipe, and we could put a link to it because it's still good. I mean, if you need bread fast, it makes a white loaf, a kind of a an old style round crusty it's easy. white loaf very easily very quickly almost foolproof with no work it's, so there's a lot to be liked about this and all you need to to really pull it off is a um is a dutch oven that can take some high heat you know so like um like a, a cast iron or or enamel i i tried when we first we tried that many years ago and i used a ceramic one and kind of ruined the glaze because it's just it's like 450 degrees or something in there and or 475 75. actually dave is even hotter than that That's yeah the other so thing. you need you need a sturdy but anyway i'm interrupting you but i just want to say that there is there is a way to make um that that's what started this whole thing about making your bread in uh in a uh uh what you call it uh Help me. Dutch oven. Dutch oven. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but you, um, after struggling with a Dutch oven for a while, have changed your ways. And now you use what's called a combo cooker. And I think yeah. you need to describe what that is for people. Combo cooker is a frying pan lid on a Dutch oven, basically. So it's a Dutch oven with a frying pan lid. That's what I'm trying to say. And you it's use like it a upside. Yeah, it's a two piece thing. You turn it upside down. And then you can plop the loaf of bread into a loaf of dough, rather, into the into preheated the lid, essentially. lid, essentially upside down. It's just a lot easier than trying to get a loaf of bread into a Dutch oven. I would in that always hit hit it off center, and it would still come out fine. But, but it, would it would be, be kind of creeping up the side shaped, of the pan, right? Yeah. So this Dutch this this combo cooker thing, yeah, it looks kind of like two deep cast iron frying pans, you know, that are together like a clamshell. I mean, they're not hooked together. You can use them as individual entities, yes. but it's from, it's from Lodge, or right? It's, right. They, they exist in other forms as well, right. other brands, but yeah, it's just two, two big, deep cast iron pans and, um, and they just, have, there's a lot more spacious uh, for this kind of work. You can do also, I guess, people have improvised, like they've put if they don't have a Dutch oven, I think they've done things like putting the putting the loaf on, say, a, a pizza stone and then putting a Dutch, uh, not a Dutch oven, but like a cast iron pot over the top of it, you know, like anything to enclose the bread in so a the, chamber the, so the that the moisture, moisture from the dough it becomes creates self, a steamy environment. It's like self-steaming. Now, my favorite new method for this, though, is there's a member of the Los Angeles Bread Bakers who rigged up a pressure cooker so the oh, steam yeah? would go into his oven 
He drilled what? a hole in his side of his oven and what? ran a pipe from a pressure cooker into it. No, really? Yes, so he could simulate. A, so he just runs the pressure cooker empty? No, with water in it, right? Well, yeah, so I mean, but up. he doesn't have, he's not making beans at the same right. time. Right, it doesn't or... <laughs> have, I guess it doesn't have pressure anymore. It it just runs its it's steam. It's just a steam maker. Yes. I thought that was genius. Oh, that, DIY. that is genius. Yes. Sounds a little scary. Yeah, a little. I don't think it is, though, actually. I, I think it, it's no, a perfectly... No gas no, explosions or... No, no, no. Perfectly safe idea. Or terrible disfiguring steam accidents. Well, maybe that, but... <laughs> but, but... But nothing will get in our way of progress. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, I think... You know, I, I unfortunately, I don't think people can bake a loaf of Dave Miller bread after listening to this episode, but... But I just think they know now that there's hope... That that whole hundred percent whole grain is possible in the home. Yes, it is. It's incredibly delicious. Um, they should support um, any anybody in their area who is farming or milling whole grains. And there, you know what? There's a few bakers around America who are also doing this too. Um, we talked about Josie Baker earlier. Josie mm-hmm. Baker also mills his own flour in san francisco and makes mm-hmm. very good loaves of bread mm-hmm. there's a guy in new orleans actually who's doing this too that i just heard about so i think this is the new bread kind of revolution we had um we had the kind of the la Brea bakery bread revolution back in the 90s which where... was like the, the our pair our, our american paradigm shift from uh, bread is something that's sliced in a bag right. to, um, to to something, something that's that round and crusty. Decent. Yeah, that but was the unfortunately, first step. that's white flour. Honestly, mm-hmm. mostly white flour. And now I think we're we're going to see a, a whole grain revolution coming up soon. Which and be wonderful. I want to put in a plug. If you're in Los Angeles, there is the Los Angeles Bread Bakers Meetup. Actually, just Southern California because we have. You know, the thing with this workshop, we actually had one person come from Washington State and another person come from Phoenix. So uh, we're getting people from other places anyways. And you've already grown enough to have a second... Yes, to uh, have a West L.A. kind of branch branch. of the uh, Los Angeles Bread Bakers. But it's in uh, meetup.com, Los Angeles Bread Bakers. We have a bunch of things coming up, one of which I'm very excited about, which is we're in collaboration with Joanne Poirot and the Environmental Changemakers, who you heard on this podcast. You heard Joanne on an earlier episode. We are collaborating on a community bread oven at Yay. Holy Nativity Episcopal Church. And uh, the workshops are coming up soon, and you can see them in the meetup group. So you can learn how to make your own bread oven if you go and help. Exactly. Right? It's going to be, the workshop will be led by Ben Losher, who, you know what? We should have Ben on the podcast. We should. We? Ben is a architect and a Adobe expert. He is building what I believe is the first Adobe building in Southern California with a building permit. Yay, ben. In uh, many years. And he built the oven in our backyard and is leading the workshop. Uh, both to make uh, bricks. It's actually going to be a free workshop to make the bricks. And you can learn a lot from making the bricks, mm-hmm. actually, because pretty much if you learn how to make the bricks, you can do the rest of it. And that's free. You can free. make anything if you've got the bricks. Yes, that's free. Very exciting. And then 
Also, we're going to actually make the oven in June. So if you're listening to this podcast before June of 2015, and get in there, the, the, the brick workshops are in May. And then I'm going to be teaching a whole grain class and a rye class at Griston Toll coming up too. And you'll see that announced in the meetup. And we also do bulk flour orders too. Through the meetup? Through the meetup group of Central Milling Flour, which is pretty good flour. And if you don't live in the LA area and you're and you are frustrated because there isn't good bread culture in your area, well, do like these guys did. Do start a meetup. Start group. a meetup. If you could just find a couple of friends, you know, um, that way, even if there's only like three other people join, you know, you guys can do a lot together. We've ended up having mostly amateur home bakers, but a few professionals signed up for the group and have been a really great resource in keeping the group going and helping with things and teaching classes and things like that. So I can't recommend this enough of starting a group like this in your area. It's a wonderful thing. And, it, you know, it gets people together over food, which is always a good thing. And people like to do things with their hands. Exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a good way to spend a weekend day. Exactly. Support the bread revolution. All right, anything else? I think that's it. All right. Well, to leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. Those comments are very important, actually. So if you want to do something for us, uh, that would be a great thing. Go to the iTunes store under the Root Simple Podcast, and leave a comment for us. We're also available on Stitcher. And you can support the Root Simple Podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Thank you for listening.